usual. Guys, it's been a while. It's been so long since I've spoken with any of you. We took a long hiatus for this time. Yeah, for once, it, it is very accurate. It has been a while. Truly. I missed y'all. It's been a quarter of a year for various oh, well. reasons. Yes, Emma, it's been it even longer. It has been that long, hasn't it? Yeah. It's even been longer for me and Emma. Emma, I haven't really been seeing you in so long. No, it's been a while. Yes. Busy, busy people. Okay, so everyone who's familiar with this podcast knows that I end up saying it's been a while. Uh, to start before we begin <laughs> anything. So welcome to Trying to Be Kind, a podcast that looks at texts that somewhat relate to the RPG space. Note the change in the description of this podcast. It's relevant. Trust you, believe you, me. And for our question today, it is, if you were to find yourself sucked into an anime and have to live out your life in said anime, which anime would you choose and why? Today, we are joined by our favorite people. But... (laughs) Uh, we have a new favorite person, and this is Emma. Emma, would you like Hello. to introduce yourself? I can I can do that. Although, as I said before, I don't know if I could answer the anime question, but yeah, I guess I am technically Dr. Uh, Emma Yasui. I have a PhD in anthropological archaeology. There's much more to me than that. <laughs> <laughs> you think you'd... I'd be better at explaining who I am, but yep, I am mixed Japanese, Canadian, anthropology, been in school a long time, teaching uh, anything from intro to world archaeology, all the way to the role of East Asian pop culture in the Asian diaspora experience. Uh, Dabbled, dabbling, or currently trying to work as a cultural consultant in TTRPG space, specifically about Japanese history, culture, and society. Oh, well, don't worry, Emma. We're going to brag more about you in a few minutes. Oh, okay. I'll keep that in mind. I'm, Sometimes I'm, I, I have opportunity to refer people, so I'll keep you in nice. mind. Nice. Yeah, so we're, especially since so many people want Japanese aesthetic without necessarily... Mahar, stop it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Stop it! It's like let's uh, let's it's, it's, a thing. it's it's a thing. Okay, all right. Let's let's uh, bring that over to Fiona. Hi, I'm Fiona May of Geist. I um, I guess I'm also a doctor. Um, and yes. <laughs> on a, in interdisciplinary philosophy. And if I were isekai into an anime, like. The real question is, like, do I want, like, an exciting life or, like, just a decent one? Because, like, most of the anime I like is terrible worlds. But, like, I think I would survive and do well in the world of Chainsaw Man, and it would be popular. So that's what I would go for. (laughs) (laughs) Jared Bear, how about you? Um, Hi, my name is Jared. I don't have a PhD. I have an undergraduate degree in poetry. Right now, I'm studying early modern Protestant liturgy for no reason. (laughs) If I had to get isekai into an anime, my my instinct is to say something really like a slice of life, Mm. nothing anime. Like nothing happens. There's no magic, and I'm not going to die. Like that's number one. So like Frasier, but like Like Frasier the anime. Yeah. Um, (laughs) 
But I think I'm going to be a little more interesting and I'll say space dandy because I would like to go to space, but I'd like it to be funny instead of sad like other anime that I like. Okay, and I am Mahar. And if there was an anime I would like to see, it would be my latest thrill that I went and graduated from the anime into reading the light novel. (laughs) Just so I could be ahead of the anime. A sentence of a bookworm in which a book-obsessed person from our world passes away and gets reincarnated into a young girl's body in a world that has no books, which devastates her, and thus she goes on a quest to make books. Lots of books. And upends her world's economy as a result. (laughs) 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 Because she found a way to make paper and reduce the costs. And now she's working on universal literacy. I mean, it's... There's a lot of magic, too. But, you know, it's just... It's so me. Okay. And, uh, yes. Okay. So, like, as promised, I'm going to, we are going to talk about the book and we're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about our special guest for the series. So, the book is, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, uh, Otaku or Otaku. I'm, Emma, you're going to have to pronounce, uh, help me otaku. later on. Yeah. <laughs> See? Jap- Japan's Database Animals by Hiroki Azuma, translated by Jonathan E. Abel and Shion Kono. This was first published um, by Tokyo Kodansha Gendai Shinsho in 2001, with the English translation coming by the University of Minnesota in 2009. This book looks a lot at this culture, which many people profess to know, and we felt that this is something that we should talk about. Now, in terms of our special guest, yes, Emma did introduce herself very modestly. Yes, she is someone who technically... uh, she says she technically graduated from anthropology, but I do know her as an archaeologist, largely mm-hmm. an archaeologist about starch, which is the first yeah. time I've ever heard of that. It's like someone who analyzed rice grains. I'm like, oh my god, that sounds so cool. I, I scrape the residues off of ancient tools and try and reconstruct what meals they were making. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that sounds so awesome. That's pretty, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's so cool, right? And then, of course, and she teaches right now media culture, Japanese studies, uh, over at York University, where I'm pretty sure her students are very lucky to have her. I'm actually teaching archaeology stuff. (gasps) Shocking. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, uh, Emma is also a Japanese-Canadian and is more than well-situated to talk about this topic. Now, as for the book, Fiona, you're the one who chose this text, so can you please let us know why this text? And why not an RPG book? So, you know, I think too much, and I did at one point get a PhD. And this is a book I read in that quest, where a thing that I think about now, thinking about it again, and I've been watching Action Button, and God, I'm going to start talking like that, and I'll please try and stop myself. (laughs) Anyway, um, a thing that really strikes me about it is how right like i ended up really thinking about myself a lot while reading it you know i grew up in an era of you know i will not specify my exact age slash just pretend i'm 26 forever but like (laughs) um i have used a 56k dial-up and i was one of the first people to seed naruto with a fan sub in the united states for episode one near japanese live because my friend and I spent a lot of time um, helping other people and having a network set up when that felt like a very large cultural event. 
which is to say I'm incredibly culturally ignorant in a lot of ways, yet also read a lot of history. And I think a lot about how I, you know, when doing actual history, it would run into, oh, yeah, I think in an anime once they summarize this bit of history. So I'm pretty sure I can just skip over this page to just get to the next thing I need to get to to finish this bit of history reading, which is a very bad idea. <laughs> but also, you know, I think in a lot of ways, otaku was an export culture. One of the first things that I saw of um, like seeing another sign other people in my area knew anime was real was someone like put a sticker that said otaku over a stop sign somewhere in Philadelphia when I was there. And I thought it was just the greatest thing I'd seen. So I peeled it off and used it as a phone back for a long time, actually. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm an early internet person. Um, so I also have like a severe inability to learn another language. Um, it's embarrassing, frankly. So, you know, I think it's a book that's also interesting because it's about a culture from the standpoint of the culture being critically studied. And we're also significantly in the future of it. So we can look at the author's claims, but also as a scholar who, you know, grew up, um, weeb pejorative when that really was a deeply deeply uncool thing to be i cannot stress enough um you know uh thinking about also how like rpg and gamer culture has its own self-defensive move towards a certain sort of like reifying the most um you know socially isolated and highly knowledgeable um in a way that I think is interesting in parallel and massive difference. So in a lot of really pretentious me droning on ways, I think it's an interesting book to talk about since scholastically from inside RPGs, we've been talking about RPGs and RPGs and culture for a long time. And it's interesting to look at a different nerd culture in a different context and see maybe ourselves through a different mirror. Well, okay, so this is my mini rant about to begin, right? And I think Emma knows where this is coming from. Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> it's that, okay, so Japanese culture is undeniably popular at this point. I mean, it used to be, yeah, like being a weeb was pejorative. And it, it was essentially like hipster cartoons for certain people, particularly in the early, in the late 80s, early 90s. If you watch Japanese cartoons, I think in America, the idea was you were like some kind of like, connoisseur of anime like whatever that whatever that meant. but i think the big problem right now at least from where i see it is that we and emma knows and like we've been on other podcasts talking about this like you know asians represent i think done a really good job in particular of like really breaking these things down which is like it's all about the aesthetic but not about the culture <laughs> and mm -hmm. then uh, i find it really um problematic i think that's a, a kind word when people like try to gank in on the culture and say, oh, this looks so cool. Let's use it in our RPGs. And I, and, um, and I think it would be shocking for a number of listeners in particular to find out that not even average Japanese people would look at otaku culture and say, oh, that's really us. You know, like it's not a fully representative thing. And well, it's uh, a, like culturally shameful thing, the way that like, you know, you would think of an undesirable cultural group. I mean, possibly depending we on were, like your view of it, right? Yeah, we were talking well, it's about also this. full integrated. 
Well, was that Emma? It's fully. It's also just fully integrated. Like there are. Well, it's kind of like some video games now, even in the West, where the idea of a gamer versus someone who plays games are two different things. Otaku and consuming otaku type things exist at the same time in Japan. Like you'll see just about any and everyone reading manga or will watch anime of some sort without then becoming labeled as an otaku with whatever meanings they associate with that. I have a feeling otaku in Japan is different from otaku as Americans say when they call themselves otaku. Well, yeah, oh, absolutely. fetishize like the basement dwelling social introvert, like obsessive collector with a like massive knowledge of some like, you know, complete area of nerd culture where it's like you have read, played all of the Otome games, all of them, every single one. You've 100 percented of them. You've 100 percented ones that are against your sexual preferences and that like you find the fetish content in bad. Because, like, you completely consume this nerd culture, and you will pedantically explain it to people, and you're extremely online, and you never leave your home. (laughs) Like, that is, like, an extreme, extreme, extreme type, right? But, like, also, like, conceptually, like, the lighter version of that's, like, the Big Bang Theory is for nerd culture in America. I mean, when you get down to it, I think (laughs) we were joking about how this is, like... People tend to look at otaku culture and say, I understand Japan. It's the equivalent of people saying, I get America because I watch Marvel movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, friendos, that's not how this works. And this is why I think this is a fairly important book, particularly the link to RPGs being that many times, even Asian designers find themselves leaning into Japanese aesthetics and Japanese geek culture not realizing that what they're doing is not truly a representative idea of what Japan is, and they don't really understand what the culture they're even drawing from is. It's one thing to admire. It's one thing to aspire for that. It's another thing to just not understand and misapprehend what you're talking about. So, and there's an interesting there's an interesting point in it's in chapter one of the book, so I don't want to like dig too deep into it just yet. But there's an interesting point that I think is relevant here that the book makes where otaku as a culture is a thing that happened after, very importantly, after World War II and after sort of this Americanizing influence from the West. And so in some ways it exists as a way for Japan to look at itself through this lens of Americanization. And so one thing that chapter one doesn't really deal with, but that I think is relevant here is like we have to read the American and generally Western fascination with otaku media coming out of Japan as like, it's almost pre-orientalized in a way. It's sort of pre-digested for the American audience in that way by its own sort of existence on the other side of this like American looking glass internally. Yeah, I, uh, mm. I think of that a lot with like certain fascinations that a lot of like Western fans of specifically samurai culture, air quotes, right, are very into, like, the Book of Leaves, which, like, I have read. And if you don't read the introduction, which contextualizes a lot a lot more, you know, where it's, like, 
yeah, the elderly samurai giving this lecture wanted to disembowel himself, wasn't allowed to, and is basically 20 years after his lord has died, hates modern culture, and this much younger samurai who's basically a court functionary in an era without wars interviews this ancient man who wanted to commit ritual suicide but who fought in multiple campaigns about what he thinks life is and that maybe in a lot of ways this is not representative of Japanese or even samurai culture but it is kind of yeah kind of stoic book about how like what's important in life is honor and like also it has lots of commentary about like micro cultural differences from the era that sounds very old man talking at clouds <laughs> Well, and also you know, some like, kind of Joe Rogan podcasty bits <laughs> where he talks about how, like, in the old God. days, like, there was a special medicine you needed for men and a different one for women. And in the new days, like, you just use women's medicine on men because men's blood are, is weak and this is why they're bad at beheading people. Oh you know, God. it's it's a fucking wild book. I, I read it recently. <laughs> <laughs> but here's something I just wanted to point out in reference to what uh, Jared was talking about. So that if we're going to dive into the book and look into this preface, there are actually two introductions, one from the author himself and one from the translator. And the author goes on to talk about how it is in a pre-digested form. Uh, he first talks about this notion of what actually is criticism and how Japan understands criticism. And he explains here, however, I wish to point out, Although this book is indeed a work of criticism, in quotes, and theory, in quotes, it was not necessarily published as such. The Japanese edition of this book was originally published as an inexpensive paperback, available to a wider range of audiences interested in the relationships between contemporary culture and subculture. In fact, in terms of reader responses, I received many more responses from general readers than from academics. In this sense, this English edition will be launched in a very different environment from that of the Japanese edition. So already we're already seeing that bifurcation of how people understand Japan, even in the, the way the book, the very same book was released. So um, we are looking at essentially like, how does this discourse even begin? Um, when, we, when they were talking about otaku culture, it, in Japan, it was seen as something you would read in a magazine. Like it was actually like released in stages, I believe. Um, if I look at the publisher quotes, it first showed up in a, a, like a, like you know a regular pa uh, inexpensive paperback like postmodern journal. Postmodern otaku karamita nihon shake. I don't know how I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm destroying the language in front of Emma. <laughs> don't worry about and, it. And um. But then at the same time, here it is in the form of something that we see in textbooks. It's, it's produced by a university press, specifically the University of Minnesota. So already when, he, when we want to look at this ongoing conversation, it, I think it does highlight something like, how does America, I think, in popular culture discuss uh, otaku, otaku culture? How does it release it? How is it? How, is, how do conversations around that thing happen? And I think we will have to ask about it because in many cases, we don't really get, um, we don't really get, um, for lack of a better term, like any deep delving beyond what, what I would call inductive theory to culture, which is, oh, look, we're going to get these like cherry picked examples of what this culture is. And then from there, we're going to have, we're going to extrapolate a general theory of what the culture should look like. 
when in fact we're it's it's it, i think it's a wobbly discursive mess at the moment which is why I'm, I'm appreciating this book for what it is yeah i mean it's even interesting how like when this book was published you know there's just the note that um Heo Miyazaki in 2003 won the Academy Award for Spirited Away, you know, um, and mm. that Takashi Murakami, where uh, achieved recognition for his, you know, otaku like designs, where I actually saw one of his like installations at one of the art galleries in Boston when I was a teenager. And honestly, it was very impressive, but also as a hugely receptive audience for that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but that, like, you know, it's amazing just seeing how much Miyazaki is also used as just shorthand a lot, especially in RPGs. Um, mm. Also, sorry for just westernizing by switching to first, like, not using surname first. I don't know what the best practice actually is since I realized I was reversing it from the text. I also pronounce uh. everyone's name wrong. So I'm very sorry for the fact that, like... I barely pronounce English words correctly, and I feel terrible. <laughs> With language stuff, as long as you do your best. I would say it's easier just to focus on last names. People people know what's up. Emma, I also want to ask you a question, though. Sure. Like, because you often get dragged into the RPG space to be like an adjudicator of what truly is Japanese. Uh huh. <laughs> what truly is Japanese? Answer for our podcast audience yeah. right now. And that's yeah. not the question. That we not that's, not, that's not the question. It's just more of the emotional labor that she is forced into. But <laughs> like, it's more like, I guess, I just want to know. Like, I know that we've only looked at the book in like bits and pieces so far. But what would your first impression of this text be so far, especially? in that context where you are seen as a cultural consultant and you are seen as an expert in what makes things Japanese. Right. Um, I feel like I need to read more of this to get what (laughs) Azuma is going to be saying. The first little chunk of the intro chapter, I was just like, what are you, you can't just say that and then walk away. Like, what is this? But then there's also part of me that appreciates that uh, it is a Japanese author who self-identifies within the group, who is, you know, using all of these frameworks to kind of understand, am I going to agree with it all? Probably not. I think that's partly because we now have several generations of otaku that aren't being covered by this book and also i know way too much about post-war japan because that's really where archaeology as it is now and the relationship you see with the heritage industry in the past really kind of take off so some of this talk about uh, he's obsessed with this idea of a japanese image and it's like well <laughs> that can't just be understood without also looking at the like the rapid rise of the heritage industry and the promotion of uh, na- uh, cultural heritage and history in Japan at the time. But also like every once in a while I feel like I might be saying, I think you're reading into this a bit too much. Or it might be overgeneralized, which 
Because the trouble, like, if whenever I'm being asked to just rubber stamp something as whether this is representative or good at what it's trying to represent, it can be really tricky because the academic in me comes out and it's just like, well, what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean by good or representative? Or I think most things have some value to add, either as good points or, you know, lessons. (laughs) But. It'll be really good to have you, at least personally, to have you here to sort of provide a little bit more context, because this book is basically all I've got on this subject. You know what I mean? It's my first foray into this kind of situation. So I I kind of have to take everything at face value. Yeah. Um, It'll be good to get some broader um, perspective. Well, I'll do my best. I've also read a lot of... Uh, Western scholarship on Japan and that's why I'm looking forward to reading through this more closely because there's been a lot of even kind of recent Western scholarship on Japanese pop culture that makes me a little ragey by the time I'm done (laughs) and then there's a really interesting subgroup of diaspora East Asia scholars working on Japanese pop culture that is completely different than what uh, Azuma or the other Western scholars are offering, and they're really interesting. So, yeah, I don't know if I answered that question. I, I know, you answered <laughs> I it. That was did. the perfect academic answer. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I danced all around, waffled here and there, and then I came back around and said, did I Did I say something? <laughs> I think you did, honestly. I mean, okay. like, I mean, like, say what you will. I mean, um, I, you know, I, as someone who was academic, like academically inclined and did academic work, it's like you, you, you don't want to be definitive. Um, yeah, you definitive, can't be. Definitive also closes the subject, doesn't it? Right? Like mm-hmm. if, it's def- yeah. if it's this is the final answer, then why bother have, a, have, a, have another reading? Which yeah. a number of academics actually do, which I find also rather terrifying, really. Like, oh, wow, I guess you're... <laughs> you're the one you, you know yeah um especially with topics like this which delve deeply into the humanities um which is subjective as fuck right oh um, yeah um does just to situate this book further this was produced more than 20 years ago this is a 2001 book oh um, my god I mean, like, <laughs> let, yeah. let that sink in that this book is two decades old it. I hate it, but I was, I remember that like as an adult, like, oh, I was an adult 2001. I remember, yeah, when the clock turned over and everyone was uh, super worried. And like, oh my goodness, it's the 21st century. Guys, one fifth of the 21st century is done. Let that sink in. (laughs) All right, let's uh, keep talking about it. Okay, but anyway, anyway, (laughs) back to the original premise is that because the book is dated, uh, Emma, I think, is more than correct in saying there have been there's a whole generation worth of literature that has since expanded on the topic, and I think it might be good for us to see what those things are, also to update and see if it. But that's already homework on me. Uh, the the other thing is, is that I think that this is a time when I hate to say this, when post post modernity reached, I think, the undergrad levels of of uni quite common and because before like you know if you're reading post post postmodern things in the 80s and 90s i would say that as like a grad level kind of thing you were taking up really right but uh, in in depth like you were not going to read foucault from the start when he was still writing in the 80s or the late 70s 80s right 
Yeah. And then now, this is, I think, the time where it became sexy. Like, suddenly, everybody was a pomosexual. (laughs) 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 Right? Like, they literally called, like, there was even a nickname for it. Like, oh, what are you into? I'm into pomo. And I'm like, Pomo sapiens. Yeah. It's like, it's like, what the hell, right? And so, yeah. And so, I think I do, I, I feel inflections of that in this book where it's like a very happily gingerly used tool to really frame a lot of contexts and to really frame this way of thinking about Japan, which wasn't necessarily a common way of thinking for that time. And now yeah. is becoming more of like a more situated thing. So that's why I kind of look at it and think like, hey, <laughs> old, old friend Alpha Sarah is here. Old friend Gramsci is here. Like, ooh, there's some little, <laughs> is that a little flavor of Chomsky? And I'm like thinking, oh, God, this is, <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> why am I so excited about this? <laughs> <laughs> little claps, little claps. But, you know, it's, it's still uh, something I think that the average reader should uh, look at and see for what it is. Like it's because, again, yeah. the nature of, of the academia is as stodgy as the academia is, it's also something that tries to be trendy within its own circles. And this oh, is yeah, very it, much on trend. If this were published today, it would be a substack. Like, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I mean, like, in the ones that are like, to the degree a substack could be worth money, like what you would pay for, because like it is kind of like men is conversational, like mass read, you know, released on a bit of a schedule, like a bit provocative and like not, you know, as deep in a citation as you can get in work that is really hard to work through. Mm hmm. And, like, I think that's also just kind of interesting about the way texts age, because, like, I read this in, like, 2014 or so. You know, it had been translated in English long enough I could get a secondhand copy at a university bookstore. Time moves way too fast. Oh, yeah. And it is funny trying or seeing uh, media studies to try keeping up with all of this. Well, because Evangelion is like the biggest name anime to current people that I think he really talks about. Yeah. Like, well, and he also outlines the, the what he considers the three generations and the last generation was born in 1980. So we already kind of know <laughs> what group we're dealing with. Yeah, like it, it's very interesting to see how people try and arrange things at the time. I, I feel like this is among the more readable books that we've done which maybe has something to do with that passage that mahar pointed to from the preface where it's it was kind of written to be a more popularly read book for a more popular audience Mm -hmm. um but it's like super maybe it's just because i've been reading elizabethan theology recently but (laughs) i felt like it was really like entertaining and kind of a page turner um so anyway on that level i can recommend it yeah i mean I mean, seriously though, when it get, it's I just find this to be, uh, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just find this to be really funny. If only because we're going, we're about to delve into what people see as a particular subgroup that they affiliate with. Like I've I've met people who are completely raised outside of Japan, have no Japanese heritage whatsoever, and will proudly define themselves to be an otaku. And I'm just kind of like, 
do you know what that means? Because I'm not sure what that means. Like, where are you yeah. pulling your definition from? And I'm not going to name who they are. They're, they're still, hopefully they will <laughs> listen to this podcast and they were, they're going to stop marketing themselves this way. Yeah. I've met some people who in the TTRG, in the TTRPG space saying, I aim to be the next otaku RPG designer. Interesting. And I'm like, what does that mean? And then they went on to say, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to find out a way where people can meaningfully roll the dice to feel like they are in a mech. And that was kind of like, what? The That's fuck? So... I was like, um... This is a yeah. conversation from two years ago. So I'm hoping I didn't actually follow through on finding out what happened. I was just kind of like, it was one of those pandemic conversations where people were like thinking in their heads what to do in the craziness of being locked down. Right. And I was just kind of like, um, good luck. First of all, those games already exist, don't they? Yes. <laughs> Not to be a dick, but like, there's plenty of <laughs> mech games out there. <laughs> yeah, there's also apparently- a Western otaku game. There's one that already exists. Yeah, and there's several. It's there's called several. Depression Quest, and if you published it, you get bullied by the internet until you really do become a very private person. Oh no, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, and then, so I did say Emma, but you know, there are these games that actually do do it, and I think that's kind of put them on the defensive, and that's why we stopped talking. Okay, um, yeah, and then. And then the other thing that uh, same person who prior to this conversation, which really made me, um, which really made me wonder if they knew what uh, Onotaku was, is that, yeah, I'm going to be like, we're going to do another game where, like, because we're otaku, right? So we're shut-ins. And I'm like, no, no. And then, and it goes on (laughs) to say, like, they go on to say, like, and so the game is about releasing your mind outside of the room so that your mind can slowly draw you out. I was like, oh my God, like, what are you talking about? And, um, and <laughs> I mean, sorry. I played Yumaniki, so. But it's like, it's like, uh, what's that, what's that dream? What's that dream? Um, there's a dream, uh, dream video game, like a dream, like that, 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 that anime where that kid was on a bed. What do you call that again? so non-specific my like friend Nino Kuni, i think it was nino kuni something along the like basically the nino kuni is like a, a pokemon but Joey. like like some dream prince kind of thing and he come up and then i was just kind of like are you kidding me and then i was like otaku is shut in like are they really and then that's when i realized that he was conflating otaku with hikikomori yeah <laughs> and i was just like these are very different things, and one's actually a form of studied anxiety. <laughs> like, like yeah. people have it's really it's a specific cultural manifestation of an anxiety disorder. So it's just kind of like, are you joking? And that's when I, you know, like I wish I knew of this book then, so I could have just rather gently said, you know, this text would help you because <laughs> I feel injured listening to you, <laughs> yeah. and I'm not Japanese. Right. It just this this just felt so wrong at so many levels. It's so, just yeah. the sheer pride in it too, but also you're out in public telling people that you're a hikikomori, which obviously you're not. <laughs> 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 like, hmm, right? You know, it's like, it's like 
oh, am I talking to an astral projection right now? Like, what is this? Maybe, you know, you know, maybe this is a telepathic conversation. I mean, mm. <laughs> it, it, it's and anything that's where we get. I mean, like not to be cultural police, which I think we've been accused of before, particularly like you, Emma, you've been you've unfortunately been called that, right? I don't know, have I? Probably. Well, went back in the hate uh, during L5R, during the L5R stuff. Oh. Right? right? Like, <laughs> oh, so Emma is part of an excellent podcast, the Asian Represents podcast as well, where they were looking deeply into Asian um, depictions and RPGs, and uh, some people were like, well, you're destroying our fun. And I'm just kind of like, this person literally has a post-grad degree in the very top yeah. of like, That's like, seriously. And like, I'm not showing up at all your events telling you to stop and wagging my finger at you. <laughs> like, if you feel bad, maybe you should think about that. But also, I'm just saying what I think and feel as a Japanese descent person who has spent a good 12 years working in and out of Japan on Japanese prehistory and history. Like, yeah, this is, this is what I've got for you. Exactly. Like the, the goal of this particular one by covering this book is not to wave fingers at people and go like, Oh, well, you know, you should know your culture. Anyone having fun with this is a terrible person. Like, Something you know, I never said. We, we no. made a point of repeating like, this is not what yeah. we're saying. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I do, and I do think that needs to be reinforced right now. Um, if anything though, I, th- what I do hope people realize is that when we, when we are, enjoying consuming other people's work uh and when we want and we want very deeply i think there's an i think that's an understandable like desire when you aspire to be like the things that inspired you Hmm. let's make and i don't think there's anything wrong with that at all because if anything that is when the difference between like appropriation and like appreciation happens we need to understand like what exactly it is that the labels that you're putting on yourself and whether or not that label is a self is a is a is a convenient shorthand for a label for something that you mean vis-a-vis um understanding it for what it actually is and i think uh later on we can discuss this where i think people should also feel a little bit more empowered to invent new labels so that they don't necessarily make a label or grab an existing label and say, I am like that. It's you, you are more than fine to help the language evolve and give yourself a word. Yep. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. but, but then like, you know, of course things happen in the process. So that's, that's why I really like this book because it gives you some kind of understanding to go towards even where the labels come from. You can start asking yourself, well, then how do we then mm-hmm. rather safely create the vocabulary we need to express ourselves? Sorry, nerd rant over. Um, <laughs> I was sitting here thinking. Everybody else, like, you know, like, another academic tool. Oh, let's put a concept and, and just leave. Does anyone have any burning thoughts they want to share on the world at large? I missed you all. I truly did. It's been a rough, like, it's been rough being away from you all. I, I'll, I'll admit that. I'm glad this is happening. Yeah, I am. This was supposed to happen. <laughs> Sorry, last November, and then things happened. Yeah, Christmas happened. Christmas. Yep, yep. And it does the that. and the avalanche of emotional wherewithal, which is like, uh. <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest. Like, 
while I believe good things can happen in this month, I actually believe that this is the worst month. Like, yeah. I've never had a single good thing happen to me during this window of time. You have to pay rent, and there's only four weeks. Like, Not a lot of sun. It's Yeah. Um, freak weather events happen. Like, last weekend it was negative 40 in Providence. Awful. Which, fun fact... For any listeners, since I know that we have a kind of weirdly globalized reach, um, doesn't matter which system, Fahrenheit and Celsius actually are the same at negative 40. Yeah. Is that is that where they cross over? Yeah, That's because cute. it's 0, 32 and 40, 40, negative 40, negative 40, because I always forget how to do the conversions. So I start trying to do algebra and then realize that <laughs> I have a phone app and I can just click a thing and then I don't have to do algebra. <laughs> ideal i'm in hong kong where it's 21 degrees celsius um right now well, <laughs> and um you know it's just apparently fine spring weather to 21 is a great temperature you know to uh to canadians but to 69 degrees uh, fahrenheit for those uh, american listeners nice and, uh, <laughs> and uh guess who's wearing thermals in a sweater <laughs> Oh no. Mahar, it's 70 degrees out and you're in thermals? I am freezing, okay? I hate this. <laughs> I love it. Mahar? Mahar is, is great. <laughs> I have very thin blood and a very fat body, okay? This is not, <laughs> not enough. <sighs> it is not enough. I am suffering and I missed you all and I was single and it was Valentine's last week. And I'm 40 now. <laughs> oh, oh, door opens, deluge of tears. Um, <laughs> on that note, I'm so glad that we're doing this. Um, definitely, there there are a lot of things that I, <laughs> Evangelion's going to be discussed for sure because the does focus on this. Um, that gives me an excuse to rewatch it. I actually have my DVD set of it I got when I was in high school. It's like the oh. ADV one that has like just. Oh my god! Nice. I will always rewatch special features. Yeah, it's just I so rewatched sad, it last though. time I was in Japan, so that's it. All lines up. <laughs> but seriously, it's it's just a sad anime, and I don't understand why people look at it and go, "This is the most amazing thing," and I'm just kind of like. You like things? <laughs> I don't yeah. think so. I, can, I, can't, I, think, I can't manage it. I think Shinji achieves self-actualization. It's hard to tell. I haven't watched anything beyond the original series, so I'm stuck with that oh, original ending in my brain. I don't know. What else you haven't seen like the movies or the rebuild. No. Okay. Interesting. Like, you should at least watch End of Eva, Eva. IMO. I think End of Eva is spectacular. Yeah, like, I will watch these things, but yeah, I originally watched it back in high school and said, "What the what the hell am I looking at?" And then yeah, yeah. rewatched it as an adult. I'm like, "Wow, that really took a turn at the yeah. end." Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because yeah. I've yeah. I've actually come around on the original ending a little bit. Like I understand its shortcomings, but like I think the original ending has some stuff going for it that I there's that a I lot respect. going on. Yeah. What I was mostly confused by was it's two episodes. I'm like, it just keeps going. Yeah, it goes forever. <laughs> I, the thing that I found more fascinating as time goes on of like, it's literally the like, 
how anime works as a financial commitment of like, no one cares that you ran out of money. No one cares that your writer had a nervous breakdown. No one cares that you're receiving death threats at your home and like, et cetera. You owe two more episodes. And with what you have, you have to animate it. You know, the way that like Robotech, I think, aired an episode where there were unfinished frames and Charge Mm. Man Ken is like a weird one of like is nationally kind of known as a joke i think <laughs> in japan but like i don't know it, it, it's three frames per second animation because from like the 70s where it like exists only because people were trying to like literally scam a broadcasting company you so know the theme I, song's a bop and it was very popular in GIFs because it's like extremely jittery and weird looking. Can I just share two things that I, now that we're entering the Evangelion like uh, pit, uh, is that first that the director uh, apparently like Hideaki Anno mm. is someone who likes studying postmodernism. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's obvious which, from Evangelion and his uh, non-animated film, which I thought was actually pretty good. Yeah. yeah Wadanabe but I, is also, like, Shinichiro yeah. Wadanabe is also yeah. really into postmodernism. It's which, a thing. <laughs> which, which completely explains why this book is like, oh, yes, Evangelion. <laughs> like the, yeah. It's, again, it's so on trend. And here's something that I also, just to highlight how old this book is. And how old Evangelion is also as a, as a result. Guys, this was released on Laserdisc. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It reached <laughs> Laserdisc. If you, if to our millennial, no, not even millennial, to our Gen Z listeners, a Laserdisc was a CD the size of a serving platter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yo. Which. It's so weird though, because like, Mini discs are apparently popular again. No, I, I won't believe it. I They've never gone out of popularity no, in Japan. Wow. Like, there's, and the only like runs of them, like American vaporwave bands, like now sell out routinely at like huge markup, like just putting the best printing they can on them. But you can write anything on a micro disc. Yeah. It's there. Like, I'm really sad that those are going to stop existing and that the only way I'll be able to get one at some point is go to Japan and find a repair shop, which is ludicrous to get a sound system. But, like, maybe a fun adventure. (laughs) 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 On that note, friendos. Yeah. I think think this this book has a very high nostalgia, Mm. a high risk of nostalgia factor. Oh yeah. I'm, oh yeah, I'm 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 more than willing to re-enter my teens with this book. Okay, okay, Jared, is this when you play us out? I think so. Uh, do before we go, do follow us on Twitter. We're at kind trying, and we never tweet. We never ever tweet. We will not um, flood your. You will not. We will not flood your your uh, streams. But you can tweet at us with questions, then maybe we'll answer them on the show if we remember to check. (laughs) Yes. Our last tweet was... When was our last tweet? Probably six months ago, Jenny. Our last tweet was... Let me just check it out. Oh, I do tweet every episode, so it was probably the last episode. No, wait. December... December. 
December 12 was our last tweet. It wasn't even a tweet. You retweeted someone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look, we've been ahead the game on just not trying at Twitter, which is great. Oh, like, yeah, now all the cool kids are doing it. I've entered yeah. my Slacktivist Twitter phase where I just put out bad polls that intentionally, like, damage my metrics. Now it's just a social experiment. You know, I, I deleted my Twitter several months ago at this point, and it's really changed my mental health. That's good. Well, it's I assume been... for the better. Oh, it's, well, yes and no. Okay. <laughs> yes, in the sense that I don't need to deal with morons. Oh. No, in the sense that people look at me and go, why are you so ignorant? Which makes me feel like I shouldn't, should I know shit? Yeah, I prefer the first one. Twitter news cycle only matters if you're extremely online. Like, I consider myself a citizen of the internet. I am terrible to talk to because, like, sometimes people will show me a meme and I will just explain the history of the meme to them. <laughs> Where I'm like, yes, that's a still from an episode of Seinfeld, a series I haven't seen about New Yorkers who are unpleasant. They're all unpleasant at each other all the time. Oh, they're terrible. I actually am rather excited to read this book for the simple reason that it isn't an explicitly RPG book. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I'm hoping I'm hoping I like have things to contribute. It's hard to know. I mean, I've I been think, baiting you to watch like anime for a while, Jared, and I know you've watched true. more than one. I have. I've watched a handful, and I've even liked some of them. Oh my hey, goodness. There you go. Faint yeah. praise from Jared. It means that Jared <laughs> probably spent the rest of the evening pontificating on the importance of an anime. <laughs> it's like when Jared said, I actually like some, it means that Jared probably fell into a loop, like a very long <laughs> positive feedback <laughs> and damns it with faint praise. <laughs> anyway.